Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Five Things Friday. I'm Pastor Jay, and this is the Preacher's Corner. Today, we're going to be covering the subject of the Kingdom of Heaven, and this will final out our five things that we needed to know in order to be able to better understand uh, the timeline and scope of our Bible. Those things which we've covered uh, throughout these five weeks would be Israel, would be the church, would be the family of God, and last week would be the kingdom of God, and now we're going to discover the kingdom of heaven. Just as was said last week, often throughout the Old Testament, the kingdom being referred to uh, by the Hebrew people would be the kingdom of God, mainly because they didn't see the Messiah in Jesus. They didn't see him coming. They didn't see the the purpose of the church or the work that would be done uh, through the church. And so we discovered that when Jesus, our Messiah, came on the scene, he began to speak about such things as the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, as we discover today, even before Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, John the Baptist, who would come from Zechariah and Elizabeth, six months prior to Jesus beginning beginning his ministry and actually being a pivotal part in Jesus starting in the ministry with the baptism of John, this very same John would go forth preaching the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so we understand that, that uh, in the New Testament connected to the new covenant is the promise of a, a new kingdom. Now the kingdom that Jesus spoke of last week concerning the kingdom of God, this was a spiritual kingdom. This was a kingdom that was connected by the Holy Spirit. This is something that lives inside of us. It's something that cannot be seen with the physical eye, only experienced by and through the new birth that is spoken of in John chapter number 3, which is also both the kingdom and the new birth that Jesus teaches Nicodemus, the kingdom of God. But this kingdom of heaven that we'll discover today, this kingdom is a physical kingdom, a physical reign. It lasts for a thousand years before it brings the world to judgment and then moves forward from that point of judgment into the everlasting part of eternity with a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. But of his kingdom, as is prophesied in Isaiah chapter number 9, of his kingdom there shall be no end. So when we reach the kingdom of heaven, we've reached the the end <laughs> without end. <laughs> it's kind of exciting to think about. So that's what we're going to get into today and rejoice in all that the Lord has for us. And uh, just just with these notes, and if you have opportunity to be able to come on to church, I have yet to be able to figure out how to get them on a PDF attachment to be able to stick them on here at Facebook. Or uh, if you want these notes, you can email me. I know I can send them out by email, uh, and, and I'll be able to get them to you. But otherwise, uh, just come on to church on Sunday, and we'll make sure we have enough copies to be able to provide for you. And amen for that. Plus, we get to celebrate our third week of Advent this coming Sunday, and what a thrill that that will be as concerning the the week of joy. There's just nothing like this time of year, guys. The celebration of our birth, the birth of our Savior, the birth of the King. And so let's look into this today. Father, 
We pray that you give us the sense of the matter, that we may be able to understand the promise that you made in the old and the way that you fulfilled said promise in the new. The fact that we have a kingdom that we're going to serve in, that Jesus is going to reign over, and the rejoicing that we have in being a part of the kingdom of God today, for it is our preparation for being able to serve you better in the kingdom of heaven in the days to come. Through it all, Lord, we give you praise for the connection of being a part of Jesus, for being one of your children adopted by you through the Holy Spirit of God. And what a thrill it is to rejoice in these truths. In Jesus' name, this day, together as one. Amen. All right, guys. Real simple. With these notes, I'm going to read here what the kingdom of heaven is. And this is simply put as that the kingdom of heaven, now this is also referred in the New Testament as the millennial reign. The kingdom of heaven is the Old Testament prophesied, re-established kingdom of David. The promised Messiah will be the king of all kings and will rule the earth in the righteousness of God, having all of the kingdoms in submission to the Messiah's authority as sole ruler. So, I was asked a question about this actually yesterday in our broadcast concerning Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, well, actually, yesterday I was talking about Christmas as well, but the, there was a question about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and and it was really exciting because ultimately when you, when you look at the prophecy that is given to us over in Isaiah chapter number 9 that speaks about Jesus and speaks about his government, well, the government being referred to is this kingdom of heaven. It is the physical government that Jesus will rule over. And as you see in Revelation chapter number 12, also spoken of in other places of the New Testament, that, that with a rod of iron he shall rule. In other words, uh, whereas a lot of the kingdoms of our earth have give and take, uh, we have laws, but we bend them and break them, especially for, for certain peoples. Uh, we're, we're very apt to bending and breaking the laws. With Jesus' kingdom, you'll either keep that law as it is written, or you will be judged according to the the punishments for breaking that law. His is a rod of iron. In other words, it does not bend. It does not break. There is no favoritism in the Son of God. And so when his kingdom comes, it's going to be very important to be on his side. <laughs> it's going to be very important to be a, a born-again child of God with a heart that is capable of keeping the law, because once his throne is established, it, it is going to be a throne of justice. It's going to be a throne of judgment. And don't get me wrong, when Jesus becomes the, the king of kings over mankind, there's going to be plenty of people that will be crying out like they do in these modern days about racism. There's going to be plenty of people screaming systemic racism because Jesus is going to actually judge fairly. But the problem with mankind is that we don't want to be fair. We don't want fairness. We only want what is good and right for our own section, for our own group. But we don't want to see uh, fairness exist across the board. Uh, simply put, we want to be the majority that's in charge, no matter what section of majority you're looking at. 
And so with Jesus, once he establishes the throne, he's going to rule with this rod of iron and any type of infraction or transgression will be met with judgment. It will be met with justice. And so a lot of folks say they can't wait for Jesus to come, but they really don't understand what they're saying. Because the world is not prepared. I don't even think most Christians would be prepared for the righteousness that Jesus would judge. I, I, I would find that if Christians weren't, weren't able to have a brand new mind and a brand new body and a brand new heart that, that God promises through the rapture and, and, and everything that takes place there, I think if we were left to the corruption of the nature of our flesh and we were to enter into the kingdom, I think that, that we alongside of the lost folks would, would struggle with Jesus' rule because we would think it not fair due to the way in which Jesus would judge sin. Because there are, with even with Christians, I mean, just with this guy that's trying to become uh, a senator in Georgia, this this Warnock fellow who who would post out there and say, "I am a a a pro choice pastor," and you know, really, when you when you consider this concept of pro choice, yes, it sounds really good because you're saying I'm for a person's ability to choose, but the choice that's being dealt with is whether to kill a child or not, and and. When you start realizing that that you're wanting to give people the ability to just decide that life isn't important or that that a child, I just don't want this child. And so we try to justify it by saying, well, it's really not a child, it's a fetus. But the word fetus means offspring, which means it's like you, it's coming from you as you, which is your offspring. So, So, yeah, that's a baby. And, and so you, you're trying to justify your position, but you really don't have one because God said in his law, thou shalt not kill. So you, you really, you'll find that even people that claim to be Christians, if, if God were to establish his rule, I mean, if Jesus were to come and, and set up his kingdom without taking his children out of the world and, and making them complete, making them brand new, uh, you would find that we would probably rebel against Jesus as well. We wouldn't agree with it because we're just so we're just so buried under the the weight of the corruption of our flesh. And that's a scary thought. But it is true, and it will be coming to pass, that the kingdom of heaven is a time that is to come that, as prophesied in the Old Testament, is the throne of David returned as God had made the Davidic covenant that you will have seed of your line that will rule the earth forever. It's coming. Now, you can understand much better now the thrill that existed in the hearts of the followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry as they believed him to be the true Messiah, which was promised to come, that they that they also believed he would establish this kingdom and that they would finally be out from under the heavy hand of Herod and of Caesar Augustus. Real, real simple, you know, as soon as the disciples began to be encouraged that Jesus was Messiah, 
you can understand a lot of the things that were happening in the New Testament. Like remember the the mother that that came to Jesus and 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 begged him that her sons would be able to be at the right hand of Jesus and at the left hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Well, the, the kingdom that they were expecting Jesus to establish was this this kingdom of heaven, which was that millennial reign, which was a physical kingdom that Jesus would overthrow Rome, that he would overthrow the governments of the world during that time, and that Israel would rule alongside of Jesus as the conquering nation of nations. And so this mother was asking for a position of prominence for her children in this physical kingdom. And and of course, remember that that James and John, the sons of Baragene, remember these guys, they they said, hey, Jesus, do you mind if we could be on your left or on your right? So there and again, you had this idea from James and John that, you know, we're, we're going to be able to serve Jesus in his kingdom that he's going to establish. And, and so we want to be in pretty high position when that comes. And of course, Peter and the rest of the guys got all offended by their request. But then Jesus said, can you drink of the, can you drink of the cup that I'm to drink of? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Because Jesus was, was providing an explanation. He said, when I come into my kingdom, I, it's not given to me to decide who's going to be on my right side and who's going to be on my left side. But the reason he said that is because the kingdom they're hoping for is not a kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. That's what we discovered in the kingdom of God yesterday. The kingdom they're hoping for is this future kingdom that's going to be revealed in Revelation 20. And at that point, you're going to have the martyred saints, you're going to have the church, you're going to have Israel all serving together. So, who's going to be on his right side and who's going to be on his left? Or will it be that he sits upon a throne and the rest of us serve him? I think that's probably closer to the point. But nevertheless, you can understand why they were so excited. You can understand why Peter rips out his sword and is prepared to fight when they come to initially arrest Jesus because he's ready for this kingdom to come. They've been praying for it. They've been hoping for it. From our studies last week, we discovered a kingdom Jesus brought in called the kingdom of God and revealed Jesus revealed this kingdom to be a spiritual kingdom that is to be entered upon the new birth of redemption God provided to all who would trust in Jesus as their Messiah. So it was last week that we discovered that the new birth is the entrance into the kingdom of God that Jesus would bring in. And this is the redemption and hope of our souls. Now coming in through the new birth to the kingdom of God also brings us into the family of God. And then we discovered that becoming a part of God's family is becoming a part of God's kingdom, both spiritually on this earth, but also that kingdom which be in heaven. Very important, the kingdom of heaven. The disciples, however, did not understand this at first and were completely disillusioned when Jesus willingly surrendered to Roman authority, for this was not how the kingdom of heaven was supposed to be or work. (laughs) The reality is, the kingdom the Jews in Jesus' day were waiting for, including all of Jesus' disciples and the, the apostles that followed closely with him, uh, 
And the selfsame kingdom the Orthodox Jews are still waiting for today was a physical kingdom with a physical throne in a physical time and place on the earth where they, alongside their Messiah, would rule over the nations of the Goyim, which is known as the Gentiles, or us, among the nations. The good news is this kingdom is coming and the Messiah will rule over the nations of the earth and will do so with a rod of iron, as we'll discover in scripture when we get closer to it. Indeed, the government shall truly be upon his shoulders and in the justice and peace of God he will rule. Of course, is found in Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6 and 7. The bad news for those who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah is they will, they will not be a part of the kingdom, nor will they have a place within its service. You understand, those who have rejected Jesus as Messiah will not have a part or be a part in this kingdom, nor will they have a place in its service. They have rejected the king and therefore are banished from this kingdom and from his presence for eternity. This is the danger of disbelief and the certainty of separation from God to all those, both Jew and Gentile alike, who have rejected Jesus Christ. And that's very important for us to realize today, is that acceptance of Christ and of the Word of God and its proclamation of Jesus is the guarantee of being able to be of service to the king in the time of his kingdom. It's the entrance through faith and repentance to, to connection with the eternal family. It's, it's an entrance through Jesus Christ into the sonship, being, being the sons and daughters of God the Father as revealed in, in Romans chapter number 8 as the adoption that we receive whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of adoption. So we realize that in rejecting Jesus, in rejecting the gospel, we reject the kingdom and we reject the king. Therefore, there's not left but for us to have to go through the, the Hades of the tribulation period and then be ruled by the king for the, for the existence and length of our lives only to discover that when we die, in which case we will die if we have rejected the king and rejected the kingdom, we will die under the heavy weight of the kingdom and we will be separated from the king for eternity for we have stood in rebellion to his law. <clears throat> See, that sounds kind of harsh. It is. In, in measure, it is fairly harsh, but we do have to realize that everything with God is eternal, and we are created as an eternal being. And if we remain rebellious to the point where we have no longer an option of repentance, then eternally we must face the consequences of our rebellion. There's no way to get around it. Right now, we have a reprieve of the Father given to us through the Son. As he came into the world, he came into the world as a lamb. And we're talking about this in the characters of Christmas. And we're talking about this through our Advent is the fact that our Savior would come into the world not as a king, not as a priest, 
but as a lamb and would be even to the point of being born outside uh, in the the potential of a stable or or of a cave whatever it would be i'm just going to go with a stable cuz of the image of it and, and and being laid in a food trough as being the lamb of god that would be given for the sin of man and so lambs of course being born outside where they are in their stables Jesus would come as the lamb. But make no mistake, once his blood was applied to the mercy seat after his crucifixion, he no longer holds the rank of lamb. He now carries the crown of a king. And we who have received him, we realize the, the crown that he bestows, that is bestowed upon him, rather, is is the very crown that, that his father has placed upon his head for the purpose of judgment upon mankind. And, and in fact, you find that in John chapter number 5. You find that in John chapter number 12, that it is the word that will judge man in the last day and that all judgment was given unto the Son, for the Son is the word. And so, we we find that it is necessary for us to turn to Jesus while we still have today because the night comes when no man can do it. There's coming a period of time when, when you will not be able to turn to Jesus any longer. There's coming a period of time where, where the hardness of the world and the hardness of your own personal heart will reach a place where you will no longer feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, where you no longer respond to the word of God and thus you will be trapped eternal eternally separated from God you and it won't be God's fault it'll be your choice that puts you there so what does the old testament have to say about this kingdom well, the first place that we're going to go to and the first place in scripture that I've discovered where the kingdom of heaven is revealed let me get my Bible going over there, is actually going to be found in Numbers, in the books of the Torah, in Numbers, chapter number 24. I'm going to go there today, and verses 4 through 9. So Numbers, chapter 24, verses 4 through 9. We're dealing with Balaam. Uh, we're dealing with the visions that he receives every time he's he's been commissioned to go and curse Israel, but every time he goes to curse Israel, he cannot escape the fact that God will not allow him to curse Israel, but only to bless Israel, and so we're looking at one of those times. Numbers 24, beginning in verse number 1, the scripture says, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents, according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his parable... And said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are, are they, as the valleys are they spread forth, 
as the as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of lion aloes which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour out he shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his kingdom shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations his enemies, and shall break their bones, and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, as a great lion. Who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. Well, needless to say, in verse number 10, of course his anger is going to be uh, kindled against Balaam because the blessing that, that Balaam actually acknowledges is the fact that there's going to be a king that rises up in the people in the land of Israel that is going to be stronger than any other king that is going to have power to be able to break the bones of his enemies and destroy them and crush them with, with his arrows. He's going to be a king more exalted and higher than Agag, which which was Balak's fear. So, needless to say, that this was a situation where Balaam is actually prophesying. He's presenting the reality of Jesus. Uh, God brought him forth out of Egypt. Now, this being referred to in, in two sense. The first sense is Israel. But the second sense of prophecy is Jesus. Of course, as the scriptures would make known in Matthew, that out of Egypt have I called my son, as you recall the, the, the prophecy being revealed there. And so God brought him forth out of Egypt. Israel is often referred to as a her or is recognized as the bride of God, just like the church is often referred in the feminine to to she or the bride of Christ. And so we discovered that the hymn that would be referred to here would actually be the Messiah that would come that has the strength of a unicorn that that is higher than, than Agag as a king, which is referred to in verse number 7, and the kingdom shall be exalted. In fact, it shall have no end. So the very connection of what we receive out of Numbers 24 would bring us to a reality of, of the promise of Jesus coming in the millennial reign. But you can understand where this kingdom being referred to all the way back in the book of Numbers would be uh, referred to, of course, by the Hebrew people as the kingdom of God, for it is the time that God would establish his kingdom on earth. But this is a time, keep in mind, that is before David. So this prophecy that is coming for Balaam is is not even looking at, is not even considering the person of David at this point, but is going past David under the promise of the seed of Genesis 3 that would establish a kingdom that would never end. And so Jesus is recognized as even coming forth out of Egypt before David is even on the scene or referred to. That's kind of cool, I think. Now, the second prophecy that we're going to look at today is going to actually come out of 2 Samuel chapter number 7. So let me scoot over to 2 Samuel chapter number 7. 
a really sweet place in Scripture that is referred to here. 2 Samuel chapter number 7, the Scriptures are going to be 12 to 16. I'm going to start off, though, in verse number 10. The Scripture says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth, telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men." But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. A beautiful prophecy that was recognized to David, and of course, as Jesus is is called the the king of the line of David, or David established upon the throne, also Jesus would be considered a son of David. You'll find that this prophecy is directly connected to two people. The first person that this is that this is connected to is Solomon as concerning the earth and as concerning the seed that would come from David and the kingdom that would be passed on from David is Solomon. It is the kingdom of peace as it recognized that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. It recognizes that the children of wickedness will afflict them no longer. It will no longer afflict them. It recognizes a place where his house, where God's house would be established, that he will make the in-house. It is a place, and Solomon performed all of this. But then you come to the prophecy of this, and you meet with Jesus. Jesus said, tear this temple down, and in three, three days I will raise it up again. And the temple that he referred to was the temple of his body. Of course, we understand the church to be a spiritually connected body in Christ. We understand that this is a place where peace exists, the peace that Jesus gives, not the, the peace that the world gives, just like he said in John chapter 14 and verse number 27, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I to you, my peace I give to you. So it's very important to realize that all of what you're reading here is indeed, as, as people would want to argue, connected to Solomon. Yes, indeed it is. But also we find that the promise in verse number 12 is that when thy days be fulfilled, referring to David, you shall sleep with your fathers. Indeed, that is true. I will set up thy seed after thee. In other words, I will, I will establish your seed and make it, make it prepared for exactly what I want to, this, which seed shall proceed out of thy bowels, which which comes directly from the lineage of David. Well, of course, obviously, Solomon comes from the lineage of David. 
But Jesus does also. Both Mary and Joseph have connection to the the royal line of Judah through David and in fact are even connected to Bethlehem, which is why they went there for the taxation. And so out of out of David's bowels will eventually come both Joseph and Mary, which will bring forth the Messiah directly connected to the lineage of David coming out of his bowels, just as promised here in 2 Samuel 7. And I will establish his kingdom. Indeed, that took place through Jesus. His kingdom is established. We know that his return is imminent and his kingdom will be fulfilled. And he will build a house for my name. The church, hallelujah. Now Solomon built the temple. Of course, the the nations destroyed that temple and it had to be built again by Ezra. It was added and remodeled by by the Romans. I mean, you name it. This this is the situation that we find. But Jesus' house is a house that, that Jesus built that is still governed by Jesus and that is still being built by Jesus. He's the one that adds unto the church as it pleases him. He's the one that maintains the structure. And so we see that that indeed a house is built for the name of God, uh, revealed through the church, and I will establish the throne of Jesus' kingdom forever. This is before Isaiah, which said, and, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, from that period, we see the the possibility of iniquity existing in Solomon, but there is no possibility of iniquity existing in Jesus. What's the difference between the two? Solomon, Solomon was born by David and Bathsheba. Well, those two are certainly sinners that, that have come together, and when you take a pink sinner and a blue sinner, you're going to end up with a new sinner. Okay, Jesus was birthed of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, and so Jesus' father has no connection to sin whatsoever. Jesus coming from, from the womb comes in sinless estate because his father had no sin. Jesus had no sin. And the scripture even goes forth to say, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so though he has connection to sinners in this world because of the connection he comes into the world through his mother, yet it is the man that brought sin into the world and death by sin. And so Jesus not coming into this world through uh, through man, but brought into this world by God, you'll find the, the, the difference between Solomon and Jesus. But you'll see that verse number 15 picks up and says, My mercy shall not depart away from him. Even when Jesus would cry upon the, the cross and say, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus had not, or God had not left him, nor forsook him. And, and he said, Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That is exactly what took place in this kingdom of God. And so it's very important for us to realize these promises as well as the Christmas narrative that we tie into in Luke chapter number 1, Luke chapter number 2, and Matthew chapter number 2, dealing with this very promise right here. And so let's look at 
the kingdom of heaven through the Psalms. Guys, you wouldn't believe how many Psalms actually cover these this truth. First place I'm going to is Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, I'm going to be looking at verses 26 to 29. Psalm 22 says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. And all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he is the governor among the nations. And they... They that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. None can keep alive his own soul. (laughs) A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. A very powerful section of scriptures to reveal the king that is to come and they shall praise the Lord. Those that shall eat and be satisfied who seek the Lord shall praise him forever and the hearts shall live forever. It's beautiful. The kingdom is the Lord's. Very beautiful point that he makes here. Also in Psalm 45, I'm going to head over to Psalm 45. There is a lot in the Psalms. Psalm 45, the scripture says, My heart, beginning in verse number 1, verse number 6 is the point. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than, than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things, or fantastic, amazing things. This word terrible in King James is not like what we see it today where it's like miserable or horrible. It's terrible things or amazing or powerful or mighty things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. This point that is made in in Psalm 45 and verse number 6 is also spoken once more in Hebrews chapter number 2, where he makes reference to this once more. Of course, we'll see that in the New Testament. Psalm 103, as we continue in through the book of Psalms, and I believe our time will be done with this, but Psalm 103, let me get out of 99 and get down to 103. Psalm 103, beginning in verse number 17, the scripture says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ministers of his, that do his pleasure. 
very powerful point that he makes in verse number 19 there is the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. This is the kingdom of heaven at the point where he does rule over all. Psalm 145. <clears throat> Psalm 145 is recognized in verse 9 through 21. You're going to see the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. Of course, this kingdom being the kingdom of heaven. To make known the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Beautiful point of the kingdom that is spoken of there. Uh, if you wish to, to catch up to the kingdom of heaven is revealed in Daniel, which is a really exciting place, as well as Isaiah and the New Testament. Uh, you're just going to have to come tonight at 6.30 p.m. Uh, this evening at 6.30 p.m. at Morgan's Baptist Church here. It's 2086 Morgan's Church Road in Bedford at 24523 if you're punching in to be able to find us by GPS. Uh, but you're most welcome to come and experience the rest of this teaching and experience the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the final and fifth thing that we need to know. So we, we covered Israel, we've covered the church, we've covered the family of God, we covered the kingdom of God, and now the kingdom of heaven. And once this is completed, it should be able to help you compartmentalize the different groups of people throughout the whole of Bible from from Jacob and Israel coming into the world through the church, through the, the kingdom of God established in Jesus, to the kingdom of heaven established at the millennial reign, and, and all of these things should just fall right into line, pieces of the puzzle put together perfectly by Jesus. Father, we're thankful. We ask thy blessing upon these scriptures that they may grasp our hearts and that we may be able to know you better in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, cause his face to shine upon you, and I shall see you at 11 a.m. on Sunday. Till then, take care and God bless.